Thank you, songsters, and thank you to everybody who has ministered this morning, all the sections, and uh, for all the different contributions that we've had that have contributed to our worship. Thank you. So, did you have pancakes on Tuesday? Yes, mostly yeses. You know, we did. I don't dare look at Wendy because she will despair at me at this point. But uh, we had pancakes on uh, Tuesday and we had banoffee pancakes. So pancakes with caramel and chocolate and banana rolled and then with squirty cream and chocolate on the top. It was rather nice. Um, you know, give me some credit. You don't get a figure like this living off lettuce, you know. So, uh, but we had these fantastic pancakes on Tuesday. And Andrew and I actually changed our plans on Tuesday when we realised it was pancake day. We were going to go out for, for something to eat. We had a day's holiday. We were going to go out and, and have a meal. But when we realised it was pancake day, we decided we would stay at home. It's something we've always done since the boys were small. We are big fans of pancake day. But in amongst all the batter and the lemon juice, in my eldest son's case, we also try to remember that Shrove Tuesday, as it's properly called, is the last day before we enter the season of Lent, which is one of the most important seasons of the Christian liturgical year. And on this first Sunday in Lent, we're going to look at that passage from Matthew's Gospel, from Matthew chapter 4, about the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. So if we're thinking about temptation, maybe I should ask if you've ever been tempted and what sort of things tempt you. Of course, if you've given anything up for Lent, then the temptation cranks up a gear. It always seems to be harder to resist something when you know you can't have it. But maybe a harder question to answer is this one. Have we ever stopped being tempted? When I think about myself, it seems that I live with temptation all the time. It's a state of being. Temptation to eat nice things that are really naughty. Temptations not to exercise. Temptations to skip prayers or devotions when I'm busy or time is short. Temptations to think of myself before others. And the list could go on. Now, for some of you, that might give you hope to know that you're not the only one who faces those sorts of temptations. But, you know, just because I've stood here this morning and admitted those things to you doesn't mean that I'm any more of a sinner than anyone else. It doesn't mean that I'm weak. Admitting to being tempted wasn't admitting to giving in. It makes me think of that song, Yield Not to Temptation. But by humankind's sinful nature, putting me and I at the centre of our lives is a temptation for us all. So as someone who lives in a seemingly constant state of temptation, this story from the life of Jesus gives me immense hope. Hope that there is a way to master the power of temptation. So what can we learn from these verses from Matthew's Gospel? Firstly, I think the context of the verses is quite important. 
The temptation of Jesus in the wilderness immediately follows the story of the baptism of John in the River Jordan. What an incredible moment that must have been in the life of Jesus. Baptised by his cousin and then hearing the voice from heaven saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That must have been a real spiritual high for Jesus. A time of affirmation and intimacy with his father. A time where Jesus would have felt spiritually strong and confident. And from that we go to verse 1 of chapter 4 where it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. I wonder if you've ever experienced anything similar. Whether you've had a time where you've had a great encounter with God, time where you've been on a real spiritual high, and then suddenly things seem difficult. You're not sure what's happened. I know it can sometimes happen to our young people when they've been on camps or territorial events. I've heard young people saying how they've had such great weeks away at camps, times where they've heard from God or encountered him in a special way, and then suddenly, once they're home, back to normal, things become harder, motivation drops, and apathy sets in. It's as if when we've had a great time with God and are motivated to take steps of faith and action, that the devil gets scared and so fires an attack. So if that applies to anyone who was at TYB or TYC over half term, don't be discouraged. Just hang on in there with God and know that he will help you through, just as he equipped Jesus to deal with the temptations we read about this morning. Now, did you notice what our first line of our reading actually said? So Jesus was led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Interestingly, in Matthew's Gospel, it says that Jesus was led. But in Mark's account, the Greek is much stronger. Mark wrote that the Spirit drove or sent Jesus out into the wilderness. Jesus had just been baptised and was about to begin his ministry here on earth. But he immediately gives up his power by being led into the desert. Right from the beginning of his ministry, Jesus was a servant, obeying the will of God. The very purpose of the Spirit's leading of Jesus into the desert was so that he might be tempted by the devil. That's an incredible thought. Why would God the Father allow such a terrible experience for his Son? And why would the Spirit collude with this event? Perhaps it was the only way that God the Son, Jesus, could truly empathise with us. If he was to become sin for us, If he was to stand with us in our frailty, he had to experience our broken humanity in all its fullness. If Jesus was not tempted, he could not stand with us or for us. So there is something imperative about this story. It has to happen in order for the gospel to become reality. Then Jesus was led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. It had to happen. But even though there's an imperative about this, there is also a sense in which Jesus' freedom to respond to the temptation is crucial to the story itself. Even though it was the Father's plan and the Spirit's imperative, Jesus chose to resist the temptations. But Jesus again... Oh, sorry. And that in itself is important because in choosing to resist... 
Jesus reverses the effects of the fall in the Garden of Eden. Remember the verses from Genesis 3 that we heard earlier? The serpent tempted Adam and Eve and they chose, by their free will, not to resist. And yet here we are, no longer in a garden but in a wilderness, and the devil tempts Jesus. But unlike Adam and Eve, Jesus chooses by his free will to resist, and so the curse begins to be undone. Let's look at the temptations themselves. Verse 2 of our reading says, After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he, that was Jesus, was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights before his first temptation. Sometimes I think we miss this point. Jesus had been in the desert for more than 40 days by now, and he is famished. He's tired, hungry, weak, and he's vulnerable. Have any of you ever fasted? It's difficult. Fasting for 40 days and 40 nights must be a complete assault on the body, let alone doing it in the middle of the wilderness and in solitary confinement. But it's at Jesus' most vulnerable point that the devil makes his first attack. The devil, knowing Jesus was starving, goes straight for the kill by saying, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So what is this temptation that Jesus undergoes? It's simply the temptation for immediate personal gratification. It is a temptation that we face on a daily basis. And it seems that with each generation that passes, we are getting worse at waiting. Whatever it is, we want it now. And actually, with most things, we can have it now. So it doesn't even feel like a temptation anymore. The pursuit of instant gratification is the placing of my needs at the centre of my world, and I will pursue them, whatever that may mean for others. But Jesus resists the temptation, and he quotes Deuteronomy 8 and 3 in his defence. We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus chooses not to pursue personal gratification, but chooses instead to make the pursuit of God his top priority. He knows his mission, he knows who he is, and he chooses to trust God completely. We know who we are. We know our calling to be children of God. And as Christians, we know that we do not fulfill our destiny by pursuing personal gratification. Our way should be God's way, and it is in doing that that we can find our ultimate happiness, even if that means disciplining ourselves by saying no to ourselves sometimes. Firstly, then, Jesus resists the temptation for immediate gratification. But the devil doesn't give up. He goes back for a second attack. And in verse 5, it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. It's interesting that the devil decides to quote scripture back to Jesus from Psalm 91 and verses 11 and 12. It's not just the faithful who know 
the word of God. But Jesus refuses to give in to this temptation, which is the the temptation to use the sensational to attract people to you. And don't we get tempted by that sometimes? Don't we love to be loved? Don't we want to be thought of as wonderful people? And this is another example of putting me or I at the centre of our world rather than having God there. But Jesus again chooses to resist. This time quoting from Deuteronomy 6 and verse 16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Finally, the devil takes Jesus to a mountain and tempts him with worldly power. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. If we think back or look around us at the world today, we can see leaders who have given in to this temptation. Maybe if we even look at ourselves, we can identify with the temptation for our own petty pursuits for power, whether that's been in the workplace, our family, the school playground, or even the core, and how we perhaps push people aside so that we can have control. But Jesus, of his own free will, chooses to resist because he knows that these kingdoms are not the devil's gift anyway. All authority in heaven and on earth are Christ's. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. So Jesus stands with us in our temptations. He truly knows what it is to face temptation, and he has shown us that it is possible to resist temptation if we are constantly soaked in the word of God and have the intimacy of a relationship with the Father. As we go through this season of Lent, it's good for us to remember the physical and spiritual costs that Jesus went through. It's good for us to recommit ourselves to going deeper in God's word and to gain an ever-growing intimacy with God so that we can be stronger in our resistance to temptation. And how does this account of Jesus help our thinking of the beauty of faith? Well, I'd like to share something with you just now that happened earlier this year. Back in January, we had a sad event at um, HMP Wormwood Scrubs at the prison. We had a memorial service for a senior prison officer who had taken his own life. The guy was Jewish, and we had several rabbi who came and took part in the service. One rabbi spoke about the fact that on the 9th and 10th of February, so just a couple of weeks ago, Jewish people would be celebrating the new year of the tree. He said how he was asked the question, why celebrate the new year of the tree when all the trees look dead? Why not do it in the spring when the tree has blossom or in the summer when the tree is full of vibrant leaves or even in the autumn when the tree has been heavy with fruit? The rabbi's answer was simple. It is when the tree looks dead that the sap is rising inside the tree, which means it will have all it needs to blossom and bear fruit through the rest of the year. To me, that summed up the beauty of faith. Having the faith to know that when things look bleak, the fact that we already have within us all we'll need to flourish and bear fruit as the days go forward. For Jesus, having been in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, things looked bleak. But through his knowledge of the scriptures 
and his intimacy with God, he already had all he needed within him to resist the temptations put before him. And that gives us all hope that whatever our days may hold, God will give us all we need. It gives us many reasons, 10,000 reasons, to have faith that life can and will behold beauty. <laughs>